After a largely successful vaccine rollout, a huge market rotation, and a president's first 100 days, our outlook is in serious need of an update. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of April 19th, 2021, and this week we're publishing our spring outlook, but we wanted you, our listeners, to hear it from us first. Yes, of course, the loyalists who tune in every week or almost every week to hear about what matters on Wall Street and on Main Street. All right, Robert, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to sum up the outlook in 10 words or less, what would you say? Oh, oh gosh. Uh, markets have room to run but performance will become more difficult. That's 11. So you fail. Oh, that's so hard. I was close. Yeah, it was a good try. And I like the direction that you took it because since positive vaccine announcements in November have allowed for reopening hopes, high beta stocks, the market sensitive ones that tend to, to react even more joyously when the market has positive momentum, those have rallied significantly pretty common development in the first year of an economic recovery. And that leads a lot of us to wonder, can it continue? And I think there are three questions there about whether or not it can continue. And I'm going to use a weird analogy, I think, to express that about the market's journey. So what will power the market ahead? What will give it the fuel? Uh, what will the road look like? And how fast can the market actually travel? I actually like that metaphor. So first with what is powering growth ahead, I think that's pretty easy, at least for our listeners. All right, go ahead then. Well, look what we have so far. COVID is becoming more contained. Yeah, relatively. Yeah, and, but there's also been a lot of policy support and the recovery is well underway. Economic activity, demand, business investment, corporate profits are already on the increase and we expect that to continue to be the case. So all clear then. We can go home. <laughs> well, I think this comes to the second half of your 10 or 11 words, which is that stocks have already anticipated a lot of this increase. So prices are pretty high and much of the growth is already priced into markets. Meaning that the markets themselves have led this economic recovery. Exactly. Yeah. And so those I mentioned will likely propel the U.S. economy from a recovery phase into an expansionary one in the coming months. So the question then, or the next question for investors is, how much will government spending actually filter through the real economy and as a result, boost earnings even more maybe than the market anticipated? Oh, that's super interesting. So my expectation is consumers and businesses both have a ton of cash. They're strapped because of fiscal stimulus and everything. Aren't they just going to go spend it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we, we saw retail sales last week reflect that, but also no. Stimulus checks have gone a long way in mitigating the impact of the pandemic. But first of all, it's a one-time thing. You get the one check. And we've seen each time that the checks are spent, the consumer gets a, a big boost right away, but not 
all of the money gets spent, or at least not all of the money by every person. Some of it gets saved, some of it gets invested. And at a certain point, we have to start calling that savings wealth or actually savings instead of money that's just sitting around and going to be spent. So the consumer impact here should be unambiguously positive, but we won't go spend it all in one place. Mm, Okay. I like this. The policy, all this is created pent up demand and savings and specifically how it will be spent moving forward is what will power the market moving ahead. But I think that still leaves some big questions like what does the road look like that the market has to travel on? This expansion could probably be defined, in my opinion, by infrastructure and a potential green wave. Interesting, interesting. So we're transitioning a little bit here from how consumers spend, which might be mixed, to how the government will spend. Say more about the infrastructure thing. Well, the Biden administration has set itself on an ambitious infrastructure agenda, and the plan goes well beyond fixing just bridges and roads. It includes investments in green technology and renewable technology, the care economy, some regulatory frameworks, which might safeguard assets, and also some redistributive policies as well. These are really interesting areas for investment because from a purely economic perspective, like if you were in an Econ 101 class, these are the types of policies that tend to be good for not just economic growth now, but economic growth in the future if they're done well, right? A big if. And part of that big if is, will they actually get passed? How likely do you think these proposals are to come through? Well, I think it's very likely that we get an infrastructure package with or without Republican support at some point. But it's still unclear how much of Biden's plan will be passed and how it will be financed. The route chosen for each of the bill, again, there are two right now. There's the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. And the route that's chosen will likely dictate two factors, whether it will be fully or partially paid for, so the tax implication investors care about, and the degree to which these investments can enhance long-term growth, so the revenue implication you know, will it enhance productivity down the road like you alluded to? However, we believe that infrastructure spending is coming. Interesting. Okay. So if we're going to use your road metaphor, then we're going to move down the road, but there might be some potholes with respect to what the road looks like, how things get passed. I think there's also some potholes for investors where this is concerned. Oh, definitely. And I assume there's probably three potholes. A hundred percent. There are definitely (laughs) three potholes. Um, I'd say potholes for investors will include taxes. You know, the other side of the spending for the government would be the taxes. And then also inflation and interest rates, some of the topics that we've covered in the past related to reopening. I couldn't agree more. Let's jump right in on the taxes one because... We were just talking about infrastructure, and you can't talk about infrastructure without potential tax increases. The American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan come with some big potential tax changes that could shape tax policy for years to come. There's a lot to discuss here, and we will certainly, I imagine, cover this in an upcoming episode. But the bottom line is this. Tax changes are not unambiguously bad for investors. They can hurt profitability for companies in the near term, and they can also cause market volatility through headline risk. But corporate profits are not just dictated by tax costs, and profits can grow in many different tax regimes. Got it. So like many things, it's complicated. (laughs) Taxes are a change, and change tends to be hard in all parts of life, investing being one of them. And the way that investors consider these changes and the ways that companies consider these changes can be important. 
But generally speaking, if you have economic growth and companies are growing their profits, then they can probably outlast a tax change. It's a one-time hit, not to say that it only happens one time or it only exists one time, but that the change factor is a one-time thing. When we think about that reflation, that economic reopening, though, that, that might help on the tax front, it's a little bit more problematic for that second roadblock I mentioned, which is inflation. Because in the short term, inflation expectations impact the Federal Reserve's interest rate policy, resulting in higher costs if the Fed did raise interest rates, let's say, in a couple of years, so higher costs for businesses and a reduced ease at which businesses and consumers can borrow. And in the longer term, inflation acts as a different type of tax for investors, which reduces their wealth and their savings. It also increases the cost of new business investments for firms. So inflation happens for a good reason that the economy is improving, but it acts as sort of a cost for the economy. Yeah, really well said. And again, the cost is short-term potential reduction in profits and then longer term in the way it affects consumers and business spending. But the real question here is, will we finally get some inflation? What do you think, LG? Well, we're already seeing a little bit higher inflation. It's a lot due to the fact that last year we had such bad economic activity or economic data that this year everything looks great by comparison, inflation being one of those things. And another way that we're going to get inflation is because as the economy reopens, there's going to be some short-term supply constraints. You know, if tons of people want to fly to travel, airlines have taken a lot of airplanes offline, for example, and it'll take a while to get everything back working the way it was or the capacity that people want it to be working. It just takes some time to iron things out. So I expect not just higher inflation this year, but inflation volatility. Mm. That said, there are important investment implications in inflation volatility. But when we think about you know, lower for longer interest rates or long-term inflation, some of these themes that drive investment strategy as opposed to just investment tactics, a sustained shift higher seems unlikely, not just because of the way the economy functions, some of the labor market slack that we're seeing, but also some broader structural issues. So frankly, that could be good for investors in the medium and longer term because it might mean that the Fed maintains more accommodative policy. That's a great point. And that brings us to our third potential pothole, which is higher interest rates. It sounds like what we're saying here is that we don't really have to worry about short-term rates in the near term as the Fed might look through some of this volatile inflation in 2021 and instead focus on other indicators like the labor market. Higher interest rates, though, at the long end can also pose greater costs to consumers and businesses. And it's not just the level that matters here, which we talk about in our outlook. Economic growth matters. So how fast the economy is growing can offset higher rates at points. The speed at which rates rise, really sharp increases in rates can cause volatility. And short-term interest rates matter too, as we discussed. Yeah. And, and if we're just going to throw a view on it, our team expects that rates are likely to move gradually higher from here, but not at a pace or level that's likely to bring the bull market to an end. So we'd expect moments of market indigestion much more than a real crisis where rates and equity trade-offs are concerned. Okay. I can't leave the analogy hanging. I'm going to close it out. That means that we see a well-paved road with some bumps in it, maybe a few detours along the way, but plenty of power to push the market along that path. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And 
Let's use a bit of that last part of the metaphor you used, Robert, which is how fast can the market travel? How much power do we really have? I think investors have to expect a much slower speed, to say the least. Okay, but that could be a good thing, right? The market conditions can last so long as the pace of gains match the fundamentals. And right now, actual earnings have a lot of catching up to do with the fundamentals. If we had, let's say, a slow and steady improvement in the economy, that could be decent, right? Oh, of course. Just throwing some numbers out right now, the market from its post-pandemic low is up more than 89%. And that's a very fast recovery. But you have to remember that on average, the S&P 500 returns somewhere to 7 to 9% per year. So I think that investors just have to moderate expectations. Got it. It's also important to remember that these years, these post-recovery years like we're in right now, are notoriously just difficult to invest in. Market dynamics tend to shift, new risks rise, valuations are elevated, and volatility is also likely to remain elevated. Okay, so if we put it in terms of, say, a normal investor, if things are going to be a little more difficult moving forward, should we just sell stocks? Definitely not. The numbers actually end up being pretty good in recovery years. It just feels stressful along the way. But investors should stay invested as usual. And actually... I think more importantly to think about is how you are getting exposure to the markets. These recovery years tend to be great for active management and tactical investors. So those looking to generate alpha can potentially identify areas of earnings growth. And in this case, that earnings growth will be driven by a return to normal and changes in the policy environment. And as we've discussed, there's a lot. The recent changes in asset class leadership are also likely to continue. So we're thinking small caps, cyclical sectors, and international equities alongside U.S. large cap growth investments in defensive sectors as diversified positioning for a rapidly changing market. Yeah, this is the year where a well-diversified core portfolio is particularly well positioned to capture the general market environment. Coming up next, I'm watching very closely what gets proposed in terms of changes or adjustments to Biden's infrastructure and tax plans. It's likely to be fought out in Congress over the next several weeks and has important implications for businesses. So we'll be watching that closely. Yes. Also of note is that earnings season is well underway. The banks reported last week and we'll hear from a number of more companies this week. First quarter earnings for 2021 look very strong. This could be a record-breaking earnings growth season. Moving forward, that earnings growth is likely to moderate, as is a theme of our episode so far. But that doesn't mean that the trajectory isn't still on an upward path where corporations can continue to grow their revenue and their profits. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters and a special guest. Let us know what matters to you. That's right. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to address, reach out to us on social media. That's right. We've gotten many good listener questions through LinkedIn. And next week, we're actually answering a couple of listener questions. You can also follow our views and get inspiration for questions on our website. That's newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab or the multi-asset solutions tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. 
I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.